0: Welcome to Smith Weekly Discussions, an occasional program for our readers and listeners of Smith Weekly Research. Please note this program is a private discussion and everything contained herein is for entertainment and educational purposes only. With that, we hope you're in a comfortable position, along with your favorite beverage, to enjoy the discussion. We remind our audience to examine the show notes attached to each of our shows to better understand how our program functions. Before we get into our discussion, we want to say thanks for questions coming from our audience of Smith Weekly, including Todd A. and Brent S. On the show today is Janet Lee Sheriff, CEO of Golden Predator Mining, a gold-focused developer and explorer that has multiple assets, including the core Brewery Creek mine, the Three Aces Project, as well as other assets. The company is listed on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the symbol GPY, and also on the US OTC markets under the symbol NTGSF. Janet, welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate your your time.
0: Absolutely. It's good to have you on. Well, first off, Janet, your thoughts on where we are in the gold market and also your views on gold price and sentiment.
1: Well, I'm not the I'm not the the, the technical expert on the market, but um my personal opinion is uh, gold can going to keep going higher. It's probably going to have a little bit of a, a, a rough bounce right now. The global factors are, are pretty uncertain. But obviously, if we have a gold company, we're, we're long gold and feel that there's a lot of strength still to come uh, through this year and, and into the future.
0: Can you speak to your background, past experience, and what keeps you interested in this sector?
1: Well, what drew me into the mining sector was um, uh, actually not from a technical end. It was more from the uh, social and economic end. My background, I uh, studied economics at Queen's University in Canada. I went north uh, to actually pay off my student loan and ended up staying for 25 years and realized when I was up north in uh, the Yukon that the best way to create wealth uh, in rural communities was mining that it created transferable skills, uh, high paying jobs, wealth in the community, uh, contract opportunities, business development, taxation uh, for local as well as federal governments and uh, it it I, I was fascinated by it I started working with the governments and the First Nation governments and came into the mining sector actually trying to bridge relationships, develop benefits agreements between the the first company was Sherwood Copper and the uh, Selkirk First Nation. So that that drew me in. Um, I always put community first. It's, uh, I think, a a way that it de-risks projects for shareholders. It has to work for shareholders at all times, but if you are not a good corporate citizen and bring community along with you, uh, you will have risks to the project either immediately or down the road. And I use those relationships and use the word use in a a good way to further projects and and benefit communities. And I think that's the best way I can help de-risk a project. I manage the, the corporate end of the company, and I've been in this position about five years. i uh, done a lot to rebuild the, the focus of the company and have a very strong technical team that we are expanding as we are advancing the Burry Creek project back towards production.
0: Well, very well, and I appreciate you sharing that information. What challenges do you see in this business, Janet? What things would you like to see different in the natural resource business, and how are you bringing that forward with your work that you're doing?
1: I think that the mining sector at times is a bit stuck in the past, and it's it's hard to change. And the world is changing so much, especially in the past few years with the climate change discussion, whether you believe it or not, um, environmental factors, um, the ESG principles that are now front and center with a lot of funds. And a lot of money has left the sector. Um, It's a bit um, old school, I would say. And I think the, the mining sector needs to change. And the principles that are behind environmental, social, and good governance really are you know a rename of of corporate responsibility sustainability but in order to get new money into the sector because the money that's there are believers in gold but if you want the millennials attention and you want the funds that are generalists or not in the space right now there has to be a way to prove your company and the sector really are being good corporate citizens and we are. Um, you know, I, I think people are in trying as hard as they can and the ones that are gonna succeed are are fulfilling on those efforts. But we need to do a better job of, of showing how we're being good corporate citizens. And that's something that's been a mandate of mine from before I was the CEO, I was the vice president of communications and First Nation relations and and I had a very strong board, and I still do that believed in in my vision immensely, coupled with a strong technical program that wanted to create value for shareholders. But they allowed me to do some very innovative um programs that reached into the community and 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 brought out that good corporate citizen and I think it's one of the best strengths of Golden Predator when obviously our assets as well. Uh, But with Coupled, I think that's what you're going to see in a a very good company going forward.
0: Well, certainly some good points. And uh, you guys are doing a lot of work with local community. And I want to chat a little bit more about that in a little while. Um, Let's move into Golden Predator. Now, this company was around going back to the last cycle as Golden Predator, then America's Boolean, and, and then the two core projects came back under the Golden Predator brand around 2015, if I have my information correct. Take us over that history and what were the challenges over that time, and how have things improved since the early days, Janet?
1: The company originally was focused on Bury Creek and had some challenges getting through the permitting process. And uh, when that happened, we had cash in the bank and. Um, had to survive what was a very challenging time in the market around 2012. So we regrouped uh, as America's Bullion. Uh, We merged with another company called Till Capital and eventually uh, parted ways with Till, uh, reassembled Brewery Creek and picked up uh, through a merger, Three Aces, and uh, started rebuilding the company. And that's when I came in, just as those, com- those projects were being put back together under Golden Predator. We still had the permitting challenges with Bury Creek that were yet to be resolved. And the cost of getting through the permitting challenges as being presented to us were um, formidable. So we decided that we would focus on three aces. And it was a high-grade and is a high-grade orogenic. System and we chose to restart the company by conducting a at surface bulk sample with very very high grade gold that uh, was visible and free milling and so we started the company with that project and so we worked with with three aces we were one of the fortunate companies that could raise money uh, in about 2016 2017. And we raised a substantial amount of money based on the um, fact that we bulk sampled three aces to restart it. And our theory was that if we have 30 gram per ton material sitting at surface that's free milling and we can't find a way to prove that it's mineable, um, you know and use our own money to move it, you know why would anybody invest in us? And so we did, we uh, built a, a very primitive plant, which we've since modern, you know, upgraded substantially. And uh, we did a small bulk sample, processed the gold and took it to Rob McEwen and put 10 ounces of gold on his desk. And um, he was the, the one of the lead investors and believed that if we could do that, then we were worth investing in. From there, we spent a long time on Three Aces. Three Aces is a very big project. It's, um, it's, it's going to be a big boy project one day, we hope. Um, and, and we made a lot of uh, geological interpretations and figured out what's going on. But in the background, the burry critic issue was not going away. And I spent about a year in the data room going through everything because I was certain that our licenses were, were current and the project was a temporary closure, which would allow us to restart under existing licenses. Uh, but there was a misinterpretation within the government. I, I eventually found the, the critical document that proved the project was in temporary closure and uh, presented that to the chief of the Trondackwitch And she uh, agreed with me, Uh, they did their own due diligence, they have a very strong technical team and she agreed that we were licensed and the two of us went to the Premier, Um, Burry Creek is in the Premier's riding and we presented our our case and the government did a uh, legal interpretation and realized we were correct and um, we are permitted for production under the existing licenses um, that doesn't mean that there's not a lot of work to do to to modernize many of the management plans, which is underway, but that was in in July, and it was a huge, huge turning point for the company because now we have a project uh, with a resource, uh, a licensed area, licenses to restart immediately. Um, not that we are there's work to do, but it was um and at that point we had to make a decision. Either we're going to focus on three aces and continue drilling, um, or we're going to put all of our resources on a, a very timely restart of a gold mine that's proven environmentally and economically. So we decided the best value for our shareholders was to focus on Bury Creek and not to say that three aces isn't a great project and that it won't uh, have a- attention. Um, but we had we had to take all of our energy and very quickly work through the season at Brewery Creek and we did Um, we we feel that the small capex to get Brewery Creek back for processing gold um, we could spend that to make money or we could spend it on drilling and then have to finance again so that was the critical decision and uh, some of our shareholders um, were frustrated, I would say, because they had invested because of three aces. Um, but our larger shareholders, we discussed this with all of them, and and if you don't have a path to production or a path to revenue or revenue in this current market because of the money that's left, you are in a very weak position. So having this short-term timeline for Burry Creek to be back into production Puts Golden Predator into a very um, small and elite group um, that has that ability to produce revenue and ride out what we see are difficult times raising money for exploration.
0: Appreciate the overview and certainly a lot of history. And with the current gold prices, I can see why the focus has has swapped back over. Can you tell us a little bit now about the capital structure of the company, how it looks today? Um, as far as Mm -hmm. shares out, key shareholders at this point, and also the cash and debt situation?
1: We have 150, just over 156 million shares issued and outstanding. We have about 7 million in options, fully diluted, 170 million. A number of our warrants are far out of the money and expiring this month, so the fully diluted will drop. Uh, Largest shareholders, my husband, Bill Sheriff, who's chair of the board for Full Disclosure, and myself are, along with Eric Sprott personally, the largest shareholders. About 11% each, or 10, uh, maybe with Eric. Uh, Pat DiCapo with Power One, McEwen Mining, uh, not Rob, but actually in McEwen. Um, CIBC Private Wealth out of Yorkville in Toronto owns about 23 24%. It's a series of high net worth investors, so you won't See them all grouped as as one investor, and uh, Albert Friedberg with Friedberg Mercantile is a large shareholder as well. Uh, there's no debt in the company and cash. I think we have about a million five in the bank. Um, our goal is that we're seeking to complete the study on the phase one restart and finance uh, early in the first half of this year. We're seeking uh, an all-debt financing, preferably, as the CapEx is below our, our market cap, which is about 56 million Canadian. We've got about a dozen confidentiality agreements signed to look at the information confidentially before the completion of the feasibility study on the, the restart of the heat leach pad.
0: And Janet, where would the uh the major shareholders, or maybe you could just speak to management uh, as far as where they own shares? Is it much higher prices or around current levels?
1: Yeah, Eric Sprott came in about 70 cents, uh, and then again at about 40 cents. Pat DiCapo, Power One's been in every financing, so you know, they've run from 16 cents up to a dollar, I believe, or maybe a bit more. Uh, McEwen came in early. CIBC's all bought in the market at all prices. And um Albert Friedberg uh in and out uh consistently from twenty sixteen to, to probably twenty nineteen.
0: And talk about the key management members there you've got on board with the company. Uh can you highlight a few key people that you've got there working for you?
1: Yeah, so obviously I've I've given enough uh, information about myself. Um, Bill Sheriff is our executive chairman, and Bill is a uh, geologist by background, but he's quite involved in in our financings and assists in raising raising money for us. Um, He oversees the technical program to date and um, studied at El Paso, his background in the markets, um, I think it was 20, 2004, he started a uranium company called Energy Metals and in 30 months took it from a million dollar market cap to, uh, to selling to Uranium One for $1.6 billion. He's known as uh, a very strong skill set in identifying and securing good projects and that comes from his time in Nevada with Gould um, and with the uranium company and he secured Bree Creek for us at Golden Predator with the objective that uh, no project in the Yukon would would be acquired by Golden Predator if it didn't have a road. We want to build a mine and not not simply explore. Um, We've changed the team a a lot in the past year. Um, We have a gentleman named Robin Fraser who oversees our processing plant. He really is a a master at um, processing and materials management. and I know we're going to talk further about that, but he and a gentleman named Colin Kraft, who's run mills at uh, Gold Mines and Tungsten Mines, very fortunate to have both of them uh, working, overseeing the plant in Watson Lake. We just announced a new COO, Mike Maslowski, who's actually our old COO. Um, He, in the interim, was working for Tech and closed a mine for Tech in Idaho and came back. It was very important for us if we want to see a timely and very fast, moving as fast as we can, restart of Bury Creek, was to bring back people that had an abundance of skill and history with the project. So Mike will now overtake uh, Bill on the technical program, and Mike's an operator. He's run mines for Coor and Tech around the world. He has a very high uh, focus on safety and a very strong safety and production record. We have brought in another gentleman by the name of Jim Hesketh, and people may recognize that name from other companies. Jim has run a barite mine in the Yukon. Uh, He has run mines in Montana, Nevada, and California. He was the banker for Rothschild when they retired the debt on Bury Creek. So through the, when it was under Viceroy, when the uh, goal hit 300, they closed in 2002. And um, he has a very strong knowledge of the entire project because of that. But Jim's an engineer, and the most valuable thing that he brings to our team is he has actually restarted a heap leach mine. And he restarted it in California, where there's a very, very stringent and onerous regulatory regime. It was called the Briggs Mine, and he ran it successfully. He is bringing that skill set of how to efficiently and effectively and environmentally sound way to bring a heap leach mine back into production. And he is driving the really the restart of it, which then Mike will take over. So they're working very closely together. And with Jim, we brought in Capus Cassidy out of Reno, Nevada. And they are the world's, one of the world's leading experts in heat bleach mining. And they are doing the feasibility study on the restart of the heat bleach pad. And they, coincidentally, um, built the original ADR plant at Bury Creek. So, again, they have a very strong knowledge. And with 20 years of history and 20 years of data collection and 20 years of water monitoring, you know, we're, we're, we have a very good understanding of the project and have brought in a gentleman named Joe Harrington with Mine Water. Joe remediates. Um, old mining properties in the US, does a lot of work with super funds and has a very strong record. He remediated and reclaimed temporarily Brewery Creek and um, detoxified the heap in under eight months, which was never never envisioned. So he has a complete knowledge of how it was reclaimed and allows us to answer a lot of questions that can move this along at at a much more efficient and, and timely
0: pace. So at Brewery Creek, what is the plan for 2020? What goals are you guys looking to accomplish? And then the economic study stage at this point is the feasibility study. And what do you see as the time frame to get processing under phase one?
1: So with Brewery Creek, we've been left with a significant amount of infrastructure in place. It's, it's no, we've never attached a concrete value to it, but we estimate it to be about $50 million worth of infrastructure. The ponds are there, partially lined, have to be relined. Buildings, some of the buildings are still there. The heap is um, only seven cells were used, 10 were licensed, so there's three cells that can be re- uh, to be built. There's mine roads, some of them have to be upgraded. The pits are there. but you know the access road. There's so much there that we can start with. But our thought in advancing Bury Creek is, how can we start with a reasonable capex? We don't. We, we we see too much boom and bust in this sector, and we see too much boom and bust because small companies acquire too much debt. So if you're a $50 million market cap and you get $120 million of debt and restart the mine, which is, we could spend that in Canadian money, you will have a downturn in the market. They always come and difficult times come and if you have can't service your debt, you are in a very bad position. We have the ability at Burry Creek to restart in a phased process. And this comes from Jim Heska's experience in California at the Briggs mine. We first reprocess the heap, so phase one is there's ten and a half million tons of ore or material uh, you have to be careful of regulators and 43-101, Um, you know I can't overstate the do your own due diligence and rely on the study when it comes out but Capus Cassidy is looking at what we believe is ten and a half million tons from historic records on the on the on the heap, and historic records show that there's about 250,000 ounces on the heap. It was run of mine by Viceroy and uh, was based on metallurgical reports that did not pan out and they should have crushed. Um, But by the time they figured out they should have crushed, gold was dipping down below below 300 and there you are in that position where you're not getting the recovery you anticipated and you have debt. So for a reasonable CapEx below our market cap, we believe we can do a phased approach by reprocessing the, the heap. So basically pick up the material, run it through a crusher, put it back. This also allows us to buy space on the the heap because we can take out any waste or delirious materials and, and end up with more room as we uh, eventually expand The three cells that are unbuilt but licensed. This we anticipate will take us um, 24 to 36 months to reprocess. And in that, and this will come out in the feasibility study, so it's just a a projection at this time. We're looking at, based on our testing that we've done with um, SGS, that we'd get about 50% recovery. So that 125,000 ounces helps repay our debt and allows us through this first phase to put in all the infrastructure and have it paid for so we can move into the second phase which is mining new material from the licensed area uh, along the reserve trend if you're not familiar with Bury Creek um, there's three trend structures all of the pits right now are on the reserve trend and that's all the licensed area and there is room on the pad and in the mine plan and license to put the new material on the, on the heap. We won't start that until we have a certain volume reprocessed. So our goal in 2020, uh, and this is subject to the outcome of the feasibility study, a decision by the board to move towards production and, and financing, would be to uh, start removing material. From the existing cells, um, reline the ponds and uh, put in the generators and start to get ready uh, so in the following year when we put the ADR plant in we can start to to reprocess and uh, run the the solution over the heap. We had originally thought we could do it all in in one year. Um, It's risky because the Yukon winters uh, creep up on you and looking at starting moving into a winter is, is probably the riskiest position. So, this way it allows us to look at a start in the um, spring, May, June timeline of, of 2021.
0: So, the feasibility study, when do you anticipate that that will be out for the market? And then also, if things, you know, hypothetically, if things are a go, do you guys see that the financing would be obtained this year, and you guys would get some work started on the ground this year? Yes, yeah.
1: the The feasibility study is underway, as mentioned. Capus Cassidy is is conducting it. Uh, end of March was the date on the contract, so we would anticipate that it would come out, you know, if lucky, by or before that date. But April would be a reasonable worst case. We have all of the people under CA in the data room now so they can look at the feasibility study uh, before it comes out and we can have the discussions about financing. And it would be our preference and 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 our wish that we would finance uh, shortly after the feasibility study comes out and be able to do a significant amount of the groundwork in, in 2020.
0: Can you give us a rough figure? Um, And I know you got the study going, so maybe you can't, but uh, of where you guys would see that your all-in costs are going to be at for the reprocessing under phase one. And you mentioned earlier uh, around 24 to 36 months to do the reprocessing. And then also, can you speak to the all-in costs at this point, or maybe I can rephrase the question and just ask you, are you very comfortable at current gold prices? I'd
1: say we're comfortable at current gold prices. We, we just did a uh, announced a new, with an updated technical report, a 43101 report, and that was taking the existing report from 2014 and looking at a different cut-off grade and gold price. It increased our resource indicated and inferred to over a million ounces. I think it was about 1.2. And that was a significant change that was due. Primarily to the price of gold, but uh, also because the, the gold price is higher, it's a um, you're able to have a lower cutoff grade. We are in the process now of doing a updated technical report that will include about 200 holes that weren't in that report because program ended in the fall, so the holes weren't available for that report. So we're fairly confident that the report will show um, some additional resources and um, we did a PEA in the past when the new technical report came out, updated, and the PEA now is a historic document. Um, so I can't refer to it.
0: Okay. And do you see the production profile once you guys get going under phase one? Do you see that that will support the future uh, phase two expansion and sustain company costs? Or do you see that there will certainly be a need for continued financing during these phase progress and expansions?
1: It's our preference not to finance beyond phase one. So loosely and always dependent on the outcome of the, the feasibility study, it's looking at a good estimate about $35 million US to restart by reprocessing. We move 10,000 times a day That when there's a certain amount of material. You don't want to mix old and new material the way Brewery Creek was designed. This was the most northerly heap leach mine in the world when it was built, the first built in the subarctic in the world. And because of that, it was built to Rolls Royce standards. Triple lined heap, uh, each cell is separated from the other. This makes it perfect for reprocessing because as soon as you reprocess and place in cell one, cell two won't touch it. So once we get to a certain volume, we can add the new material. But 24 to 36 months to, to reprocess. During that time, it's possible to look at adding in from Phase 2, but we, um, with that capital, we would put all of the necessary infrastructure into place. So it's there once we start Phase 2, and it's paid for. And that's our goal, is that we don't have to go and raise another $50 million. And it takes the IRR in phase one and makes it
0: less attractive,
1: but in phase two, your rate of return becomes very attractive.
0: Now let's talk a little bit about Three Aces. Why you guys are working on, the main focus is on Brewery Creek. Will anything be going on over at Three Aces? Can we expect some more bulk sampling? What would be the plan there, simultaneous to Brewery Creek?
1: So Three Aces, uh, we had planned a program last year but when we had our licenses validated we because we're a small team just put all of our focus on Bury Creek we ended up drilling um 177 holes the results are are now starting to come through the labs and out and we did we tested all the infrastructure um, all the plumbing uh we did stability tests on the the um the foundations for the lab and the and the plant and a lot of environmental baseline work but unfortunately it meant that we couldn't do anything at, at three aces we actually also established a, a, a camp at burry creek originally there was 25 now we we've added another 50. We're, we're hoping maximum capacity at that size because it's so close to dawson we can people can live at home and and work at the mine um but that left us in a spot where we couldn't even do the the planned bulk sample program at three aces. That said, we have had the plant going and have been processing the material. We would like this year to do some some mapping work up at three aces and a small bulk sample on a different vein. The plant that's been operating has given us so much technical knowledge on geology and metallurgy um, it's been a huge benefit that's seen bulk sample in the Yukon has been an underutilized tool because you have to ship it so far away so establishing our own plant has really given us knowledge that you should have in advance you should know what the metallurgy is and how well it processes and uh, how the rock blasts and are you getting the drill reconciliation that you think you're getting um, so we'll do another one more this summer we'll keep the plant going and i can talk a bit about the plant if you want
0: yes can you speak to the plant where is it in relation to three aces and are you guys only processing the bulk samples coming out of three aces
1: yes yeah, so the the plant is located in the community of watson lake it's along the alaska highway it's about a two and a half hour drive south of, of three aces it is in a fenced-secured area that's um, with on private land. And it is, um, it, it, I'm, I'm quite excited about some developments that came this year at the plant. Um, we attached to the grid, so we're running off grid power now. Um, it, it operates with a small staff. We originally built it, so because we had such high-grade gold, we knew if we shipped it somewhere else, we'd never really get a true representation of what we had. And we'd never acquire the knowledge and learn about it. So we did studies and determined that most of the gold was free milling. So if we built a water and gravity plant, we could recover a significant portion of the gold and also have a better understanding of our drill reconciliation. And um, so we did that at, at the first, and. We end up with two concentrates. Concentrate number one, which um, is is pretty much pure gold uh, with silver, we pour into a dore bar and send to the refinery. Concentrate number two ends up being a sulfide. And um, the gold in there is not attached to our xenopyrite. Um, it's, it's free milling, but it's so fine and so small that you can't separate it through gravity and water. So the first year we operated, we sent um, it to a smelter in Chicago. And um, when it came back, our gold-silver ratio was, was way off. And we always have a 10 to one gold-silver ratio at three aces. And the, there was missing gold. So we figured that for the cost of uh, how much gold we lost, we probably could build our own little unit to replace sending it out to the smelter. So we spent about a, a year developing this prototype, which we call an SRU, Secondary Recovery Unit. And it's a mobile batch processing unit, and it operates without the use of cyanide. We, When we built it, We thought we would originally have to use cyanide, but we knew the CEO of Enviroleach, and he was testing and focusing on um, electronic waste, and recovering gold from electronic waste, using a new cyanide-free solution. And we decided we would test it out, uh, asked if we could send a, a sample to their lab in Surrey, BC, um, asked if we could send our just to watch. Uh, we're quite surprised that they were so open that we that we were allowed to watch. And the initial test worked better than cyanide. Uh, faster and 96% recovery. So we brought their team up for the site. We ran the, the unit. And um, same thing. We had the 96% recovery in four hours. So we're in the midst now of doing a five-ton sample. Uh, We're about halfway through and results will be uh, coming out on that. This is getting us between the two concentrates over 85% recovery without the use of cyanide. And this test that we did on site and now this five-ton test is the first on-site test in the world of uh, this solution. And the way we present it to people is um, we built the washing machine and they bring the soap and it it works and i don't know who was more more surprised me or bill but an exciting development Um, we see commercial applications and opportunities from this and are very excited that the sru is scalable Um, it is um, uh, mobile and we are receiving a, a number of inquiries from different First Nations companies and, and other jurisdictions about what we could do with this unit and uh, our washing machine and and the soap. None of this would have happened if we hadn't decided that we weren't going to ship our material away, that we were going to be innovative and different and, and do something uh, in the Yukon nobody had, had done before. Um, It comes with challenges. It comes with extra scrutiny and and, uh, confusion uh, with regulators. But we've worked with them very closely to establish um, operating guidelines and always maintaining the confidentiality of the solution and the design of the SRU. You don't see many pictures of it yet um, because we've been busy trademarking and looking at patenting, as as has EnviroLeach. But the solution that's used is environmentally friendly, and there's nothing in it that isn't FDA approved. And we see stuff like this as, going back to our original discussion, one of those important things this sector has to do in order to attract new investment and new funds is trying at all times to find innovative, creative ways that you can be more sustainable, socially and environmentally responsible. We're very excited about what what what's happening there.
0: Well, certainly very interesting and a couple of questions coming out of what you mentioned. How can you guys scale this? Is it scalable to larger applications? And then my other question was uh back to Chicago, what happened to the gold?
1: We went to the what happened to the gold? We we went to challenge the results. Uh it's called an process. processing. Unfortunately, the gold was consumed, so um, we view it as a, a learning opportunity and uh, something that led us to create our own solution. The, the SRU that we built is built on a 20-foot trailer you, you tow behind the truck. But the intent is to put a mobile lab on, on, in the truck, and tow the trailer, and you can actually take it to other site and operate it because there are no cyanide, no uh, hazardous materials at all. So it is scalable, something that could be modular. It could work on, I don't want to say too much because we're exploring opportunities, but it is something that um, you can duplicate as well. But the cost to build it was under $150,000.
0: What types of mineralization can this work on? Or is the question, is the jury still out on how many types uh, it it can work on?
1: I don't have the answer to that. We're only using it for gold but it did recover silver as well. And we did not expect that, but there was a silver recovery. I should also mention, to be very clear, this is not being tested at Bury Creek. So the two deposits are very different. Now, we're obviously still working on things um, to see where this goes, but at this point, um, the SRU is working on, um, uh, projects that would be similar to 3ACES or plaster or something like that. Uh, when it comes to heap leach, the one factor that we're trying to control is the cost of the solution versus cyanide. And that's, I think, a factor that makes it, uh, un- uh, the answer is uncertain on the um, scalability for large projects at this time.
0: Tell us about the Yukon Mint. Where are you processing the coinage and then all of the products coming out of the Yukon Mint from your projects only? Can you tell us about the process and the mint?
1: So The Yukon Mint came out of the bulk sample plant in Watson Lake again. We saw the opportunity to have uh, our own gold and um, started working with the First Nation and ran an art contest so we could put Indigenous art on the coins. Um, it's another way that we saw a spin off benefit to keep benefits local, to keep uh, the community engaged, to expand the opportunities for mining to artists. And we're now into our third design, uh, all three with indigenous art on them. And um, we produce them at the Sunshine Mint in uh, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Uh, do a beautiful product and We um, have taken them over to Switzerland and they um, have given us high marks on the the quality. It really came out of, uh, we were quite surprised that the Yukon Mint had not been formed, so we've trademarked that. It's a subsidiary of Golden Predator. Our goal at this point is to to focus on the community engagement as we expand our products and work on a a multi-year business plan. The Canadian Mint started because all the gold was leaving the Klondike during the gold rush in 1898 and the miners wanted to find a way to keep money local, as did the government, and so they started the Mint in order to capture the gold. Um, I saw the Yukon Mint as doing the exact same thing. Why are we sending all the Yukon Gold out? Why don't we do something locally with it? And, uh, you know, I hope one day to to be able to mint ourselves but there's a walk before you run approach right now. It's very exciting and it's going over very well with the the communities.
0: Do you guys see this as an asset that would stay with Golden Predator going forward? And then also, can you speak to uh, where where can people who are interested to looking at buying uh, some of the products, where can they go to do that?
1: YukonMint.com is the website and we keep it very reasonable because we want to put gold into people's hands. We have everything from a tenth of an ounce to a full ounce. Um, yes, yeah, you know, now our focus is has to be on getting Brewery Creek into production and, and running other s- smaller operations gets gets distracting. So um, we do see the, the benefits of of spinning it out one day um, we'd like to do work for other people uh, we do get inquiries from other communities and companies and at this point we just don't have the capacity but I think it's a, an exciting enough opportunity to stand on its own one day and um, as, as, and as we move Bury Creek along we have to stay focused and uh, make sure that that is our, our success it's our, it's our livelihood so right. that that said, um, you know, the the mint uh, started in Canada uh, and, and evolved uh, in similar ways and now is a, a standalone. So we have to al- also acknowledge that you know, we're not making a currency, we're making a coin at this point.
0: And speak to the importance of community relations around the company projects. And what are you doing specifically to keep the community supportive of what you're doing at Golden Predator?
1: Well, at Golden Predator, we wouldn't be where we are without the community behind us, and I wouldn't have my license um, looked at and uh, and recognized without having the strength of of the with me. We just take a very different approach, and I guess it's not different for me. I was very very fortunate 30 years ago that the elders um, liked me and saw somebody that. Uh, respectfully tried to work with them and they started teaching me and I feel a responsibility to those teachers to take the skills that I was given and and use them to to bring together uh, and find common ground between the mining companies and 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 the First Nations and communities and and there is a lot of common ground you know you you can't be in mining and and not care about the environment and you know so And you can't be in mining and not care about having local labor force. But but we're always seeking innovative solutions. And the the best one I can give you is is, um, what we did at Three Maces. Um, An elder in the community named Mary Caesar um, suggested we have an elders in residence program. So we started one and we had the elders living with us through the whole season. Uh, There was up to four elders every week living there. And... um, It was tough on my team because they wanted to focus solely on drilling, but I explained that we had to get to know the casket elders. It wasn't consultation. It wasn't anything other than getting to know each other. And we did that all season, and then they asked for a a retreat, a summit, and we had 80 people at camp, elders, staff, and and youth, and they, they got to know us, and we got to know them. And... They offered so much more to our company than I ever imagined. Our staff retention was over 90%. Um, we started to understand the social issues around residential school, which is a tough issue. Um, but I, we, we, we became stronger. And they got to see everything we did, because you can't hide if you're living with us all season. There's Everything's open and accountable. and the, the award, uh, the program went on to win an award. Um, Mary Caesar won a national award in Canada for suggesting the program. And it's led to uh, an ongoing uh, engagement with the elders and then the community. And um, you know, it, now we would like to work with the First Nations to incorporate traditional knowledge into the project. But anything like that, like it's just all about respect and finding ways to work with people. And, you know, that program isn't at Burry Creek. We we, we do it in a different way. So it's just finding different ways that you work with the community and um, and make sure you're just not leaving them behind. It's it's very easy to, to just drill and move on and, and say, you know, when this is a mine, somebody will engage. But. Uh, if you don't, if you don't do it early and often, um, down the road there will be a risk to the project and the company and the shareholders. And uh, so our commitment comes from the top, and uh, we view it as one of the licenses we need in order to build a mine. And you need a water mi- license, a mining license, and you need a social license, and that's where we focus on all three.
0: Well, very interesting approach, and I think uh, a lot of it makes sense uh, for what you guys are doing there and certainly has been a a good approach over the last few years and and keeping you guys uh, supportive on the projects. Well, what does management see as end goals with the company, Janet? So looking out a few years, is the plan to get into production uh, and build out, expand and have an operating company there? Or is management of the opinion that at some point uh, you guys are looking for a buyout? What is the exit strategy?
1: We don't see a buyout uh, in our future. We see that the whole sector has changed. Where there used to be the plan was that you start an exploration company, you build up a big resource, you get bought out by a, a big company, and and move on. Um, the number of big companies is going down. Uh, the number of buyouts is going down, and you know you're. Ending up with these large resources that um, you're too small to build. So ours was let's let's have a manageable project that hopefully grows as we continue to explore. Um, But by 2021, you know, based on the study, you know, year year one, you could see a 30,000 ounce um, from the pad. Uh, Same thing in the second year, but. Projections for Bury Creek were uh, 4 million tons a day, a year. That's about 75 to 100,000 ounces a year. And uh, so back after reprocessing the heap and starting in those smaller numbers, getting to a full production, um, expanding our mining license, which will take several years uh, and we'll work on that. We are starting that now and that will expand into new areas. We see Bree Creek changing because of the exploration that we've announced recently, the results, and there's more coming. And, yeah, if you don't have a revenue source, it's going to be a challenging time for an exploration company. So moving into production is, is is our best way to add value for our shareholders.
0: And why should potential investors who are listening consider Golden Predator today? What would you say to them?
1: Try and identify another project, other than Bury Creek, and I'm sure there is one, that has over a gram per ton, over a million ounces, indicated and inferred, is licensed for a restart, has a very strong technical team, has a very good relationship with the community, and is able to restart on a timely basis because of the infrastructure left in place. I can't think of another first world jurisdiction project that hits all five of those buttons. So I think we're in a very, very small category that offers great value to to potential shareholders and our shareholders.
0: And Janet, how can folks reach out to you and to the company for more information?
1: GoldenPredator.com has all of our contact information. Uh, Best way to reach me is uh, jel at GoldenPredator.com or uh, give a call to the um, office number on the website, and you'll, you'll even if I'm traveling, it'll go right to my cell phone.
0: Janet, we appreciate you coming on to talk about Golden Predator and introducing us, our audience, to the company. Good luck to you and to the company.
1: Well, thank you, and I thank everybody for listening. I really appreciate your time for the interview. It's been greatly appreciated, and thank you again.